Good morning, everyone. Happy to have you with us this morning worshiping. Would you please join us in song? Let's sing, I count on one thing. And I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God that never laid is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. And I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never laid is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. heavy all my days. Oh yes, I will for all my days. Oh yes, I will. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against, I choose to praise. Glorify, glorify the name of all names, and nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names, and nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names, and nothing can stand against. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Your name, yes, I will seek for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will.
sing a mighty fortress. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Did we in our own strength confide our striving through your children that your kingdom comes to this earth 
and is displayed to the people around us who do not yet know you, but who so desperately need a savior. God, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you that we can sing to you when we may not understand um, everything that's going on. We can express our questions. We can express our thanks. We can express our praise, even in the midst of the unknowns. God, I thank you for that outlet that you've given us, the outlet of worship. I pray that the words of these songs would continue to be on the minds of those who are watching this morning, those who have worshiped with us. And I pray that they would go deep into our hearts, God, that they wouldn't just be words on our lips, but we would meditate on them and we would believe what we have sung. And we would trust that you are working all things out. You are. Your word says that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purposes. And so we stand on that, God, even when we don't get it. We stand on that and we wait for you. We wait for you because there's nowhere else we can go. So we look to you, God. We look to you this morning. And I pray for Pastor James that you'd use him to speak um, straight to the hearts of each of us, um, that our hearts would be prepared through worship to hear um, what you've given him for us this morning, Lord. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, good morning, everyone. So good to have you here this morning, and I am glad that we're getting this opportunity to worship with you today. I'm thinking about um, the great struggles that we're going through um, in this world um, today. I'm thinking of the um, pain and the fears and the insecurities that people are having when it comes to this virus that has uh, in many ways captivated people's vision. As so many people are struggling with fears and depression and discouragement as they are finding themselves pressed. Um, so many people are struggling uh, financially and relationally. Um, so many people are wondering where God is in the midst of this, and maybe you're there. And then, and then just this week, we've had uh, just such great upheaval happening in our country and in this world. And um, the, the mistreatment of one has led to um, so much anger and so much frustration overwhelming people and, and pouring out into our cities and into our country. And, and we definitely need a message of comfort. And we definitely need a message of hope. Um, because violence will not end violence. Uh, attack will not end attack. There is only one that will bring comfort. There is only one that will bring peace. There's this trouble that tends to happen with us that we tend to magnify the struggles of this world and we tend to minimize the God that is here. So this morning before I go to uh, Isaiah 40, I'd like to just pray uh, for our country. I'd like to pray for us as people. I pray that the Holy Spirit would pour his work in our lives. It is, it's during times of great pressure and trials that God draws us to our knees and draws us to look up to him as the only answer to our greatest dilemmas and our greatest trials. 
So would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, I pray through all the pain and all the trials and all the troubles and all the difficulties and all the anger and all the frustration and all the fears and all the insecurities and all the doubts and all the discouragement and all the despondency and whatever it is that we would label the things that people are going through today I pray that you would remind us that you alone are our comfort and you alone are our hope. Lord, we find ourselves maximizing what other people have done against us and we find ourselves so angry at what people have done and then we try to attack other people. And and Father, we fail to recognize the greatest struggle, the greatest trial, the greatest problem that we have is vertical, not internal or horizontal. Our greatest struggle is that we are sinners, Father, when we live in a broken world and we are broken people. And Father, there is only one answer to the brokenness of this world and there's only one answer to the brokenness within us. It is the blessed Savior, the beautiful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we we turn on the TV and we see the anger on political parties, the unwillingness to listen to one another, the unwillingness to work together where we demonize one another, Lord, please, please forgive us. Forgive us for looking at each other as enemies, Father. Help us to see that our greatest enemy, Satan, is looking to attack this world. Satan is looking to attack his church. Father, help us to see the internal enemy of our flesh, our greatest enemy from within. Help us to see that the world system that is out there is broken, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would point us to your blessed Savior. Lord, today, as we we go to your word, I pray that you would bring a peace that surpasses understanding. Peace is never going to come through violence, Father. Peace is never going to come through greater control. Peace is only going to come through your blessed Son. So bend our knees to him. Help us to hear from him. Help us to be like Mary, sitting, seated at his feet, hearing him today. And I pray that you're going to be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, comfort is what we desperately need. Uh, today, um, I, I was driving just yesterday and... Um, People are driving crazy. I don't know if you've noticed it. It's just the the anger, the the venom that is just happening. People cutting off. People are angry, and 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 in many ways that is something of what happened back in Isaiah's time. If you remember, Isaiah was writing this book to a nation of people who believed that they were on God's right side, but they weren't. They had failed to listen to God. They failed to submit to God. They failed to adhere to his word. And as they did that, they thought they were being blessed by God, and God was beckoning them back to him. He was saying that judgment is coming. And the first 39 chapters of this book is to teach us that the judgment is coming if you do not put God first in your life. And the people didn't listen. Amazingly enough, Isaiah is writing about a judgment that's going to come 150 years after Isaiah writes it. So he's going to write to his people of his time. He's going to be writing, and people for 150 years are going to hear this message, and they're not going to listen. They're not going to bend their knee 
they're not going to submit to God. And after they were going to be cast into Babylonian captivity, that's what was going to happen in 150 years, and they were going to be under the captivity in Babylon, what they were going to find is this. But they, then they started to call out to God and they say, God, where are you? And the, the beautiful thing about God is this. We elevate human sin versus each other, and it's bad. Don't misunderstand me. But the greatest sin is vertical. The greatest sin is against God. That's why David could say in Psalm 51, against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. What did he do? He, he murdered another person. Terrible. He did some horrific things horizontally. But his greatest issue was his issue with God. He knew that his sin was against God. Well, the nation of Israel had not come to a point where they recognized that their greatest issue was against God. They believed that they were going to find peace from their political leaders. My friends, that will not happen. It's still the same mindset today. We believe that if a new party comes in or or a president continues, that that is where peace is going to come. My brothers and sisters, my friends, peace will only come from one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he beckons them with hope. And Isaiah 40 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because what it does is it begins with hope and then it ends, it begins with comfort and he ends with hope. He, he says, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. That's where he begins the book, the chapter. And then he ends the chapter with the fact that you have amazing hope because you have a God who is going to strengthen you. See, those two bookends of God's comfort and God's hope and what's right in the middle, God. The whole chapter is about God, God's coming savior, God's eternal word, God as the reigning king, God as the Lord, God as the tender shepherd, God as the one who is the unfathomable riches, God who is unlimited in his power, God who's unsearchable in his wisdom, God who's the ultimate authority, God who's unique. It is all about God. And when we find our lives centered on him, that is where real comfort And real hope comes in. Perspective makes all the difference in the world. I want you to consider that the problems that people have today are for the most part, they make the problems that they're having big and the God that is with them is very small. One pastor put it this way, hear this. It says, the problems that we have is that we turn this around. Instead of seeing the incomparable God, we see our problems. We stand between God and our problems with God at our back, and we focus on our problems, but by doing so, we completely lose sight of God. This has an effect of making a molehill out of God and a mountain out of our problems from the standpoint of our perspective. Our perspective matters. And what will end up happening is that it will lead to sinful attitudes and strategies and depression and self-pity and complaining and bitterness and demandingness. All of these things are going to come out of the fact that we are called to center our lives on God. And when we don't, there's a vacuum in our lives. Perspective means everything. I heard this illustration of a oak tree and a vine around this oak tree. And as this vine is around this oak tree, the storms come and this vine. Now, if you're on the backside, if the vine is on the backside of the oak tree, as the storms come, it is being protected because the storms are hitting the oak tree and not hitting the vine. But if the vine is on the side of the wind, what is happening is that the wind is causing that vine to press even further in 
on the oak tree. And in many ways, that's exactly what God does. Sometimes he he shelters us from the storm behind us. Sometimes he, through the storm, is pressing us closer to him. But he is remaining in the midst of it all. So what have we learned about God through this? We have learned that God is a God of comfort. And now we come to the end of this chapter and learn that God is a God of hope. Look here with me in verses 27 and following in the chapter. It says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I want you to see that God first, in verse 27, confronts our doubts and our despair. God confronts our doubts and despair. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, there's a, a section there that talks about the word of God. And it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I want you to see that in many ways, Isaiah is following that same pattern, doctrine. He's been telling us about who God is and then rebuke. He's going to rebuke us for not trusting in him. Then he's going to correct us. He's going to tell us how we need to get right. And then he's going to tell us how we need to be trained in righteousness. So, so here, the first is the rebuke. God confronts our doubts and despairs. He says, why do you say, oh, Jacob, Why do you speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by God? He seems to be reading the minds of the people there. He is is hearing their thoughts, and as they were thinking these thoughts and these beliefs of this time, maybe in some ways you are having some of those exact same thoughts, that God, where are you? And I need you to know that no matter how big your problem is and no, no matter how difficult it may seem, it is not comparable to the incomparable God. There's nothing as big as he. See, many times we lose a focus and we have this focus problem. We, we lose focus on God and we focus on our problems. And that is such a major issue. We get distorted in our perspective and we lose sight of eternity. We lose sight of the eternal inheritance that God has for us and ahead of us. We become blurred and distorted in the way we see things. We become blurred and distorted in the wisdom of the wisdom of God and the power of God and the love of God. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you even gotten distorted in recognizing that God has a purpose and a value to the trials and troubles that you're going through. That suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. That God uses adversity to build character in our lives. He uses adversity to bring us to Christ. That's exactly what he wants to do. But we need to evaluate the way we think and what we believe in our deep convictions in light of God's word. But what they're saying here is that they do not believe that God has been hearing them. 
They're saying this. It's interesting that the Hebrew behind this, it's, it's not just saying it in their minds. They keep saying it over and over again, this repeated refrain in their minds. What are they saying? Not only are they saying with their minds, but now they're speaking with their words. Look here, it says this. Why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you speak, O Israel? This speaking is complaining. Now, the thoughts that they're having have now come out in the words that they're speaking. The grumbling of their heart has now become complaining out of their lives. Well, that's true. That happens with so many of us. I know it happens with me at times. See, we need the anchor of God's grace in the midst of the most violent storms in this life. Because if you do not drop an anchor, you are going to drift. And when you drift, you're going to drift further and further away from God, away from his comfort, away from his hope, away from his grace. So the prophet Isaiah says that they have gotten blurred and distorted in their perspective. They have been speaking words of complaint repeatedly against God. They, they have forgotten that God is aware of them. They have forgotten that God is, is affectionate to them. They have forgotten that God is able. They have forgotten that God is available. Have you? I know that I can at times because when my life becomes big, God can become microscopically small to me. Does that happen to you? So they've grumbled in their hearts, they've complained out of their mouths, and they've missed God. And that's us today, distorted in our thoughts, disgraceful in our speech, and we have a diminished God. Maybe that's you. See, what they're thinking in their minds and what they're saying out of their lips is this. Watch this. It says, my way is hidden from the Lord. In essence, they're saying, God, you're not seeing me. God, you are not hearing me. And so they believe that God has, in essence, forgotten them. And as they go through this great bewilderment in their lives, they're, they're crying out in despair and they're desperately crying out to God and God is not seemingly hearing them. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that God has forgotten you? It reminds me of the psalmist in Psalm 13. He was thinking some of the exact same thoughts. I love the psalms because the psalms are... Our, our deepest struggles and our deepest fears and our deepest insecurities, our deepest doubts come out in the Psalms, but, but they're a prayer book. See, see, God is okay with us sharing these things, but then what the Psalms do is they redirect us to the God that is the amazing God. But they didn't stop here in Isaiah thinking that God has forgotten them. They actually believe that God has forsaken them. Look here, it says this. My way is hidden from the Lord, so he can't see or is not seeing, and that my right is disregarded by my God. It's interesting they start with the idea of right, justice. Many people today are talking about the issue of justice. And there is such injustice that happens in this world because any time we do not put God in the center, we do not see that humanity is a created being that we are created in the image of God. We do not see the value of human beings, and then we attack other people. We make ourselves our own God. We make ourselves our own law. So it is not, it's not unusual that we're going to have injustice in this world. We do. But they're saying that, God, you have allowed this injustice to happen, and we don't deserve it, which is interesting. They're elevating what they believe they deserve, and I think they're missing what they truly deserve um, from God. 
They speak of their rights. They speak of justice. They speak of being wronged by God. And they believe that God has, in essence, disregarded them, which is interesting. It is almost, that word disregarded in the Hebrew means almost to pass over, to step over. It reminded me of, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? And in the Good Samaritan, people would pass by as this person is on the ground, and they would pass by time after time after time. They don't even see that person there. That is what they believe that God has done with them. They believe that God has forgotten them, is not hearing them or seeing them, but now they believe that he has actually turned his heart away from them and that he has forsaken them. And so their belief that God has forgotten them and their belief that God has forsaken them has now led them to be frustrated with God. I I know so many people today that believe that God has done this and they find themselves frustrated with him. Maybe you are there. You know what I find interesting about this section? They still call him God and they still call him Lord. They see him as the sovereign God, the creator God. They see him as the Lord, at least in words, but they are missing the essence of God. They're missing him. They haven't been forsaken by God. They haven't been forgotten by God. Maybe you've thought about this. Maybe your persistent thoughts and maybe the internal complaints of your heart maybe have come out in complaints of your mouth. Maybe deep down you believe that God has forgotten you or forsaken you. Maybe this has become a life-dominating pattern in your life. I will tell you that if you do that, you're missing God and you are drifting because you need to drop an anchor right now. Because if you do not do that, what you are going to find is that those frustrations will lead to bitterness. That bitterness will lead to unfocused minds and a hardness of heart. That will lead to demanding actions. We are going to look at the God of mercy and we're going to put him at our mercy. And we are so off track, my brothers and sisters, if we are there. What do I deserve? I don't deserve anything from God except for his wrath. I don't deserve anything from God except for eternal punishment. And what he has given me is comfort and hope because of Christ and because of Christ alone. We must remember that we are broken people and we live in a broken world. And as we do that, even the good things that we have are gracious gifts given to us by God. But we are sojourners here. This is not our home. The pain and the troubles and trials that we have, we are going to have them this side of heaven. But it's not about this portion of our lives. It's about eternity. God is preparing us to be with him for eternity for those that trust in him. So he starts here by saying this, I need to confront your doubts and your despair. And he confronts their doubts and despairs and he he wants them to believe God. Do you believe him? I was thinking about... um, How God beckons them in this verse. Watch what he says here. He says, why do you say, oh, Jacob? Why do you speak, oh, Israel? God is so incredibly encouraging and compassionate. Go back to the Garden of Eden. As as Adam and Eve sinned against God, they have rebelled against God's word. They have rebelled against God's character. They have rebelled against God's authority. They have done what God has said not to do. And in spite of that, they have shame. They have guilt. They have fear in their lives. In spite of that, God comes to them. That's what he does here as well. He comes to them and he is exposing their despair. He says, why are you saying this? But then he uses the names. Watch Jacob and Israel. Now, for those of you that are Bible students, you know that in Genesis chapter 32, 
there was a story of Jacob. And Jacob literally means swindler. He's, he's a surplanter. That's what his name means. And he, he swindled his brother. He cheated his brother. He lied to his father. He did some horrific things. And then he was swindled by his father-in-law. And this life of swindling and this self-absorbed, self-sufficient man, independent man who wanted to do it his own way, then he wrestles with God, you remember. And as he's wrestling with God, he is wrestling. And he says, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And what God just does is with his proverbial finger, touches Jacob's hip. It's out of socket. He is disabled. He is weak. And now he is ready to receive this amazing blessing from God because now he has been humbled so what is he saying? You used to be Jacob. You are now my people. And amazing, right after he gave him faith, then what he did was he gave him a new name, a new identity. So what, what Isaiah is saying here in verse 30 and 27 is this. I want you to know who you are. In the midst of your trials and troubles, we tend to forget who we are. He wants you to know your identity, that you are my covenant people. You have been, I revealed myself to you. I redeemed redeemed you. I have rescued you. I have covenanted with you. I'm not forsaking you. I'm not forgetting you. I'm here with you. That's what we need to hear in the times of troubles. God is so gracious to us. So what God does is he confronts their doubts and despairs, but then he goes into verse 28. He moves them and he calls them to remember. He calls them to remember. This is so important for us because when we're in the midst of the great trials and troubles in our lives, we tend to believe that God is overstepping us or overlooking us, but he doesn't. He calls us to remember who he is. He's, he spent this whole chapter telling us who he is, but now he calls us to remember. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? For many of you, you sit in churches, Lord willing, very soon, you sit in churches where you hear of gospel grace. You hear of the word. You hear of Christ. Have you not heard it time after time after time? There are some that sit in Christian churches, biblically-based churches. They hear it through the word. They hear it through the table. They hear it through the baptism. They hear of gospel grace, and they refuse to trust in God. They refuse. But God is calling his people here, remember me. And he points out some amazing things about him. In essence, he summarizes what he's just talked about in the chapter. Do you see what he says? He says, the Lord is first the everlasting God. The everlasting God. There is no end to his eternity. He is not limited. He's the God of all eternity. He is the God that exists beyond time. He does not exist in time. He is beyond time. H.B. Charles in his sermon said this, I like this. He is not bound by clocks or calendars. I am bound by a clock and a calendar. Time seems to be running out. It never runs out for God. He is eternity past. He's eternity future. And he is with you today. Don't let the problems that are temporal become bigger than the everlasting God. But then second, he says this. He is not just the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. 
so many of us struggle with life because we do not believe in the very beginning of the Bible. We do not believe that in the beginning God created. Because if we believe that in the beginning God created, then God is greater than us. God is the one that we are called to submit to. And then everything else, if God can create this whole world out of his mouth, can he help you go through the trials and the troubles that you're going through? See, if you do not have a God who's a creator, you do not have a God that you have to submit to, and you do not have a great God in your mind. So Isaiah is reminding us that the Lord is the everlasting God, but he's also the creator of the ends of this earth. He is greater than we are. We are therefore submissive to him. He is the sovereign ruler, and he is gracious. He is powerful. There is not a place that you will go in this earth that God has not brought about through his creation. So no, whatever the problems, whatever the trials, whatever the troubles are, I need you to see that God is the everlasting God. Second, I need to see that God is the creator of the ends of this earth. Third, I need you to see that he does not grow faint or weary. God is the great sustainer and preserver of his people. So God is the everlasting God. God is the creator, but he doesn't just create and then leave us on, his own, on our own. There's so many people that believe that God has created them, but then as God is distant from them and that he doesn't care. But that is not true. God is a God who preserves you every single day. He's the sovereign over his creation over and over. He's sovereign over his people and he never grows faint. I was working on this, finalizing this last night, and I just, I put my head down on my desk because I grew faint and I tired and weary. That never happens with God. There is never a situation that is too great for him. There's never a race that is too long for him. There's nothing that will ever separate you from his love. Never. He will sustain you. He will work in you. He will work through you. He never tires. He doesn't need to be restored. He is always fresh, always able, always there for you if you can trust in him. See, that's our God. See, our God is the eternal God. God is our creator God. God is our sustainer and our preserving God. But he's also, his understanding is unsearchable. You just can't figure God out. I think that one of the greatest problems that we have today is that we want to try to figure God out. Figure out why he does what he does. That's not your business. It's above your pay grade. Let God be God and you submit to him. Deuteronomy 29, 29, this interesting verse. It says, the secret things belong to God and the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. What's the things revealed? It's the things that are in this word. I need to spend my life in these 66 books learning about God, learning about who he is and who I am and what he requires of me. It's so desperately needed today. But so many of us try to figure out God, figure out why he's doing what he's doing. It's not up to you to know. So stop trying to figure him out. Really, to be honest with you, if, you, if you've got a God you could figure out, he's not worthy to be a God. If you could figure him out with your finite, your feeble mind, he's not God. See, I want a God who's bigger than me. I want a God who's transcendent. I want a God who's unsearchable. And I want a God who's going to reveal himself to me. And we do have a God in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So what has God done? He's, he's exposed their disappointment. He confronts their doubts and their despair. And then what he does is he calls them to remember who he is. And then he urges them to concede who they are. 
Isn't that really exactly how it happens? See, see, God shows us himself, and then he says, this is what you look like in comparison to me. He shows us himself, and then he looks at our problems. He says, look at our problem, your problems in light of me. We need to be able to see God clear, clearly so that we can see ourselves clearly. He says in verse 29, at the end of verse 28, he does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives, verse 29, power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. So God is calling us to concede who we are. See, he doesn't grow faint. He doesn't grow weary. He gives strength to those who are in need. See, we have to understand who we are. Look at verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And even young men fall exhausted. It's interesting that he is talking here about the youths. You know, babies, little kids, you know, boundless energy, it seems like. And they just don't seem to stop. They're like this ever-ready bunny, right? That thing that's just constantly going over and over and over again. Doesn't stop, and then all of a sudden, they're asleep. They fell asleep. They're tired because they can't continue to run that way. Well, that's never God. See, in our youth, we will go tired. But then he says, young men, these are probably military men. These are the athletes. These are are those that we're going to send off to war. These are the men that are rugged and strong. And even they, what, will fall exhausted. God wants us and is beckoning us and urging us to concede who we are. We are needy people. We are needy not just because we're faint. We're needy not just because we're weary. We're needy because we are sinful. We are broken people in this broken world. And if we do not comprehend that the doubts and despair that we have and the fact that we're missing God is the fact that we are sinful and broken people, we need to concede who we are. He now moves us to this. He says that I will give you comfort. He commits to spiritually renew and give hope to his people. See it here. It says this. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God has confronted their doubts and despair. God has called them to remember. God urges them to concede who they are. And now God says, I will commit to spiritually renew you and give you hope. But to whom and how? He says, but those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Who are these people that are waiting upon the Lord? These are people that have trusted in God. They, they believe his promise. They believe him. They, they are waiting in him, on him patiently. And, and God says that you do not have the strength. You do not have the ability. Jacob believed that he could do it on his own. You can't. It was only till God humbled Jacob that Jacob recognized that he needed someone greater than him. You, you and I need to do the same. So God is saying that you need to trust me. Trust me. He says, you're going to, uh, those that wait upon the Lord, interesting, it's probably one of the hardest things that we do in us life. We don't like waiting. We're very impatient people. You know, we get in a line today and we don't like it. You know, there are lines outside of stores now. We don't like it. We want to get here and there so quickly. But the maximum effort that happens in Christian life is the fact that we wait Because God is the God who's above time, and God is going to work in his time for us. 
God is the one who's above this world, and he is going to provide us strength in his time. There's a passage in Hebrews, and it says that this grace that God gives us, he gives us grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. God is never going to be late. God may never be early according to our timetable, but he will always be on time for you. Always. So those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I, I don't know what the seemingly impossible concerns are in your life today. I don't know what the struggles are, the, the difficulties that you're going through. I just need you to know that the best and the brightest of this life, the young men and the youths, will falter. God never will. Ever. And God never overlooks you, number one. God clearly understands your difficulties, number two. God is going to reward you with patience if you endure with him, number three. But God ultimately is going to drive you to his son. He is going to drive you to the person and work of Christ. This is catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism. And it says this. I just want to read this section to you. It says, what is the only comfort in life and death? Here's the answer, a little bit long. That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and has redeemed me from the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not even a hair will fall from my head, yea, that in all things must work together for thy salvation. Wherefore, by the Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready and henceforth to live unto him. Isn't it great that, that God says that your life, where is your ultimate comfort come from in life? Your ultimate comfort comes from in life, one person, Christ. See what he did for you. He, by his own precious blood, fully satisfied sin. That, that God, what did we deserve? We deserved eternity in hell. These people were saying that we deserve something different. God, from his viewpoint, could have given us hell. But what God has done for us is given us heaven through Christ. And he took his anger for my sin and placed it upon Christ. And that Christ, when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, paid the penalty for our sins. Do you trust him for that? And not only did he do that, he redeemed us. He redeemed us from the power of the devil who's looking to destroy us. And he's preserving you. And why is he preserving you? He's preserving you to take you to eternity with him. It's not about this moment in time. It's not about this life. It's about eternal life with him. Listen to the second question here. It says this, how many things are necessary for me to understand this, that I may have comfort in this life and die happily. So you need to know these things in order to live life and die happily. One, the greatness of my sin and my misery. Two, how redeemed from all my sin and misery I am. And then three, how thankful I'm called to be. Guilt, grace, gratitude. See, the, the psalmist in Psalm 73 said this, whom have I in heaven but you? And I have nothing on earth I desire besides you, that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Is that the God that you trust in today? 
The writer to the Hebrews said this about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, my brothers and sisters, my friends, God confronts our doubts and despairs. God calls us to remember who he is. He's the everlasting father. He's the creator. He is the sustainer and he is unsearchable in his wisdom. God urges us to concede who we are. We are sinners. We are broken. We are needy. He commits to us spiritually to that he will renew us spiritually and give us hope. But he is ultimately drawing us to the person and work of Christ. Because that's the only place that you're going to get comfort. And that's the only place where you're going to get hope. It's found in the person and the work of Christ. Today, I pray that you would remind yourself of him. I pray that you would remind yourself of what he has done for you. See, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but it's only by Christ. One last thing before I close. He said here that, you, that um, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And I, I find it interesting that he, he went in the opposite direction, which I would have thought. See, if I were writing this, and you can see why I'm not God, I would have started with the fact that you walk, then you run, and then you soar. But he does exactly the opposite. He starts with soaring, then he comes down to running, and then he goes to walking. Why? Because walking, biblically, is the idea of a daily manner of life. It's about advancement. It is about fixing your path day by day that you take one step after another. And that's what he's saying. I need you to take one step after another, keeping God as your comfort, keeping God as your hope, keeping God at the center, keeping Christ, his word, his spirit, his glory in the center of your life and let him do amazing things in and through you. So I end with this passage from Ephesians chapter 3. Paul is praying this over the Ephesian believers. I'm praying this over you today. I'm praying that over this congregation and all those that are listening to us today, I'm praying that you would hear this prayer. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you be rooted and grounded may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to that power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church. To him be the glory in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Blessings.